Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the VR2 on SI podcast. I'm your host, Jack Foster, joined by VR2 on SI rider Jake Nichols. And we are recording this podcast the morning after a Tennessee victory. We're going to be recapping the Vols 38 to 6 win in Neyland against Bowling Green, the first win under Josh Heupel that was witnessed by 84,314 fans in Neyland Stadium. It was a fast Tennessee start, as everyone knows, who watched the game, followed by a little rockiness until the rushing attack dominated the third quarter to put it away. Josh Heupel's offense was on full display, running a total of 88 offensive plays, gaining 471 yards with 326 on the ground. So really great performances from Tyon Evans and Jabari Small, which is what we're going to get into later. But before we dive in, Jake, the question I've been waiting to ask you all morning, how was that late night cookout last night? Well, that's not what I thought you were going to start with. Um, but I know, I mean, right? <laughs> the, the, the milkshake was good, but you know, shout out to the UT band for, for coming out to the cookout at Cedar Bluff. If you guys know where that is and, and clogging up the line, I guess the one by campus was, uh, was a little too full, but you know, the, the milkshake was, uh, worth it, I guess, but you know, it was, it was good as always cookout is cookout. So you're glad you passed on the cookie cake, eh? Yeah, they were uh, they were handing out free cookie cake outside the stadium <laughs> afterwards, and and Jack and I, uh, neither one of us partook. So yeah, <laughs> yeah, I wasn't I wasn't about that, especially that late at night. I don't need that sugar sitting on me. Um, yeah. But also, before we get into it, I obviously want to tell all of you guys about Acker Travel Company by Dream Vacations. If you're looking to book travel at any time during the year but don't want to do all the work, just contact our friends Beth and Price at Acker Travel Company so that they can do the work for you. They're currently sending you a $50 Visa gift card to book with them. What's there to lose? Just give them a call now to find that dream vacation. All right, Jake. So, you know, Tennessee outscored Bowling Green 38-6. Like I said, out they had 30 first downs compared to Bowling Green's 11. Um, like I said, a huge day on the ground for them. But first, let's talk about Joe Milton and his passing performance. He went 11 of 23 for 140 yards and a score. He went nine of 11 for 95 yards in the first quarter. So, you know, he had a great start, but, you know, kind of slowed down as the game went on until he threw the 40-yard bomb to Cedric Tillman in the fourth quarter. So just kind of your analysis on Joe Milton and his performance there last night. Um, yeah, you know, and, and those first two drives, man, he was clicking. He was dialed in. He, uh, you know, directed the offense well, and, and it seemed like they were – on such a fast pace that everybody in the press box kind of looked around and said, you know, hang on, we got to, you know, still be able to chart this stuff. Yeah. But, uh, but then um, obviously hit some struggles. Um, you know, I think that, that the biggest thing for Milton obviously is that, you know, you have to work on the accuracy going to next week that he had Cedric Tillman wide open on two chances and missed him both times. There were uh, a couple chances that he had with, uh, with Jalen Hyatt, which to Hyatt's credit, he dropped a couple as well. But, um, you know, and then Milton's pocket presence, I think, still needs a lot of work. He stood flat-footed a lot of the night and just kind of got time to, to sit back there, you know, direct traffic as he pleased, make a sandwich if he wanted to. And you're not going to be able to do that against Pitt, much less against other teams in the SEC. So, you know, you've got to improve the awareness, I think. And and trying to get the ball out faster because it looked like he was, you know, you, you want a quarterback that's comfortable in the pocket, but you don't want one that's that comfortable that's just going to sit back there all day and, and kind of, you know, um, wait for things to develop that long 
and you know it seemed like it was it was kind of a a um complex situation there with uh with the fact that he either sat back and waited too long in my opinion or a couple times that Josh Heupel noted that he pulled it down too soon and ran when he should have let things develop more so you know trying to find kind of the happy medium there I think is is a key for him going forward and then just like I said obviously working on the accuracy um like people worried about and and not gunning it in so fast because we did see a couple of occasions where he uh, threw that fastball, and it did not work out well. So um, I think that, that there's a lot to be improved on going into next week that he, you know, we saw that he has the physical tools, that he aired it out, he has the legs, but there is more than a little bit of rust to knock off before Pitt comes into Neyland Stadium. Yeah, most definitely. And, you know, he was – one of 11 for five yards from the start yep. of the second quarter to five minutes left in the fourth quarter. So you know, that stat yeah. line is a little, um, I don't know, it, it can kind of be misconstrued with the huge pass at the end. But um, yeah. what I wanted to make a point on is we didn't see, you know, hardly any other quarterbacks. We definitely didn't see Harrison Bailey. And uh, we only saw Hinn and Hooker at the very, very end of the game. So even with Milton's struggles throughout the game, um, and Josh Heupel knowing he could have put pretty much anybody back there at quarterback and they would have beat Bowling Green. Do you think it shows how dedicated he is to Milton being his guy? Yeah, I think so. And I think that that could pay off. But if Milton shows more of what we saw last night between the first and fourth quarters, whenever, like you said, he really struggled and kind of uh, flatlined there for a while offensively, that um, – that Josh Heifel could have a situation on his hands if he does continue to stick by a guy that struggles like we saw with with Jeremy Pruitt and Jared Garantano much too often. You know, that um, that Heifel needs to, to be aware that he does have two other capable quarterbacks in that room, but he did make sure to say last night that they believe in Joe and that they believe in him going forward. And, and like I said, there's no reason to believe that he can't get the job done. He has the physical tools and frankly, he certainly has the confidence. You know, he uh, told us last night that um, that fitting into this offense, that um, that he has the the tools to do that, that, you know, that he's able to, to execute in several different aspects. But um, but there's a lot of execution there that needs to be filled in to get that play where it needs to be. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, earlier you mentioned his pocket presence. He was sacked three times, but I feel like um, at least a couple of those were his fault, you know, just dancing, mm -hmm. you know, just standing there too long and then eventually it catching up to him. The offensive line can only guard for so long. So not yeah, all. That, that and then the, the, the blindside fumble at the end as well. Yeah, right. Yeah. Um, so let's kind of go ahead and talk about the offensive line here. Uh, good transition. Cooper Mays went down in the first quarter, they said, carve into a center and played Ollie Lane at guard. Um, yep. So what do you think of their performance and just how they conducted themselves against the Falcons? Um, I thought that they were really solid. I thought that they were the better than I thought they would be, quite honestly, even against Bowling Green, just given the struggles that we saw from this unit last year. I talked about in kind of what I hope to see from this team that, you know, that uh, obviously they're missing a, a big name in Trey Smith, who's now with Kansas City. 
and they're missing a, a major swing man in Karon Calvert, who's still out with that bicep injury. And so I think that they performed well, like I said, even against a, a pretty weak Bowling Green team, that they were able to mow them down effectively and that they handled the switch well whenever uh, Ali came in and, and went over to guard. And then whenever they put Jerome Carvin at center, that they looked comfortable and that they looked like there was a pretty seamless transition. Um, obviously, you know, we, we hope to see Cooper Mays back soon. I think Heibel mentioned that, that he should or could be back next week, but um, that the offensive line handled itself well and provided some big holes. And then obviously the, the running backs did the rest. And I think that, that was the most exciting part on the night that, you know, obviously there's uh, a lot to, to work on in the passing game and, and where Milton's accuracy is concerned. But I think we did find that Tennessee has a reliable stable of running backs that, that there's a reason that that staff was excited, that this staff was excited about that room and that Jabari Small and Tyon Evans showed it last night. Yeah, for sure. And we can go and jump into those, obviously. Um, like you said, the bright spot for Tennessee's offense was Jabari Small and Tyon Evans. Um, Jabari Small, 22 carries, 116 yards, and a score of 5.3 yards per carry. Tyon Evans, even better line, 16 carries, 116 yards, uh, and a score that's at 7.2 yards per carry. So, you know, we've had this notion that Tyon Evans is the bruiser, but to me, you know, not saying he's not the bruiser, but he was very shifty and had a lot of explosiveness last night um, in addition to small. So how good do you th – I know it's Bowling Green, but how, how much excitement do these guys ignite in you after last night's performance? Uh, they ignite a lot. You know, I think that, that especially considering the way that Tennessee leaned on those guys after that passing game struggled, like I said, after Milton and the, the passing game kind of – hit a plateau, which actually I, I won't say that. Milton really didn't even pass hardly at all on those uh, first couple drives. He missed one connection on the second drive. But um, just given the way that the offense sputtered and they went to that ground game, that I think that should give people a lot of confidence for how well those guys can carry this offense whenever everything else is kind of falling apart around them, that Jabari Small and Tyon Evans just kept their legs churning kept you know uh eating up yardage and I think that that should be a real positive going forward that both of those guys are as good of a tandem as we expected them to be and I think that that Jerry Mack was right on the money whenever he said that they were 1A and 1B although or he said that in terms of small being 1A and then Evans being 1B but uh right now you know obviously uh they were about even last night but I think Tyon Evans showed a little bit of Alvin Kamara on that 19-yard touchdown run. He was shifty, like you said, Jack. He bowled over defenders, and both of them were a real spark for an offense that needed it there between those first and fourth quarters. Yeah, absolutely. And to me, what stood out was the first drive of the third quarter. I mean, it was all runs. You know, small started at Tyon, finished with that 19 um yard rush wait uh no sorry the first drive of the third quarter was the Milton one yard rush uh but Small and Evans obviously set him up so yeah a great performance from them too and it was really nice to see that one-two punch uh that we had been hearing from all camp and it worked out um so kind of with the receivers here I thought it was interesting uh Velas Jones didn't catch a pass um Jalen Hyatt had nine targets four catches 62 yards Cedric Tillman had the acrobatic catch at the end for the touchdown so it seems Milton really liked Hyatt and Tillman more so than Velas. Was that a surprise to you or 
did you kind of see that coming in camp? Um, I thought that he would have targeted Bayless a little more, just given what I saw in camp. But I think that, that Jalen Hyatt will be a, a good target, but I expect them to try to go to Bayless a little more in the coming weeks. And obviously, you know, I've mentioned Tillman before that, that this guy could be a breakout player in Tennessee's offense, and he showed it on that uh, touchdown reception last night. Like I said, Milton missed him on a couple throws earlier when he was wide open, frankly. But, um, but on that last catch, it was more Milton or it was more Tillman, I think, than Milton on that uh, touchdown where Tillman just made an acrobatic grab and really did a great job to wrangle that ball in for Tennessee's first and uh, only passing touchdown of the night. Yeah, for sure. And, um, you know, Javante Payton, the transfer in the first quarter, he got two screens, I want to say, back-to-back. Um, mm-hmm. he, had the, he had his third target as well in the first drive. So – why, why do you we didn't see much of Peyton after that at all I don't I, that's what I was telling you last night I was interested to see his snap count after that first drive but why, why do you think that Peyton really wasn't on the field after that um I, I really couldn't say I, I feel like maybe they just uh thought that they had or could have had more success with other guys last night or maybe saw something different in matchups that they liked better but um you know, I, I, that's not to say that I don't expect to see him used more in the future, just that maybe they saw something they liked in matchups that uh, they wanted to go with going forward. But, um, yeah, I, uh, I think that he could still be a, a really viable target. Like I said, we, we saw him haul in a couple grabs last night, and he's been good in camp. So, you know, I think yeah. that he's um, a really speedy guy that uh, – that could make a lot of noise as a second or third wide receiver in this group. So I think that, um, that we certainly haven't seen anything close to the last of him, and, and that we could see a lot more from him going forward. But I think that it was just kind of a, a maybe a matchup thing that they saw last night that they liked better. And I'm really not honestly uh, good enough analytically to be able to tell you any more than that, just that maybe the coaching staff saw something they liked and something else. Yeah, I got you. It may not matter. I mean, you know, like we said, Milton kind of struggled in the passing game, so they went away from it and just ran the ball, smash mouth football to the Falcons pretty much. Even Milton had 14 carries for 40 yards and two scores, so he was Mm -hmm. pretty successful on the ground as well. Um, But before we switch to the defense, uh, Marcus Pierce got eight carries uh, there at kind of the end of the game. So he showed a little explosiveness as well. Was that a surprise to you that he saw the field? Um, I – I really thought that it would be uh, Jalen Wright or D Beckwith coming in next, but um, you know, uh, Jerry Mack has talked about Marcus in camp and, you know, has referenced the job that he's done. So I think that obviously it was well-earned and he did a good job whenever he got the nod. So, you know, hopefully we'll, we'll see more from him going forward. And I think we've seen a few flashes from him in camp. So um, hopefully that's not the, the last of him, but I think he did a good job whenever he got playing time. Right. Yeah. Um, all right. So with the defense, um, the game ball, if you will, as we did on BR2 on SI, went to Theo Jackson. He had 11 total tackles, um, six solo tackles, uh, two and a half tackles for loss, three pass breakups. I mean, he was just all around great last night from the star position. He really took command of this defense and was their captain. So 
you know, him along with some of the pass rushers um, coming to play, such as Tyler Barron and uh, Caleb Tremblay, what did you see from this defense that you liked? Um, I saw a lot of early stops that were really good that Tennessee obviously matched up better talent-wise. But whenever Bowling Green got rolling, that Tennessee was able to put a stop to it and force the Falcons into field goal situations. And obviously, um, against a team like Bowling Green, you want to prevent them even from getting so much as a field goal or getting in position to do so. But I think that given the way that the Falcons started moving the ball, that Tennessee adjusted well and handled everything accordingly. And like you said, that Theo, that Theo Jackson was a monster. And Elante Taylor was really good as well. He finished with six tackles. And altogether, that, that the defense really performed well, given um, kind of that stall out that we talked about from the offense, and that they really kind of picked things up there for Tennessee in the second and third quarter. Yeah, I just, to me, at the beginning, I noted um, that they were really swarming uh, mm-hmm. Bowling Green's line of scrimmage early on. Uh, Bowling Green put a, uh, together a couple of drives that culminated in field goals, but for the most part, I think it was a successful night on that side of the ball for the Vols. And uh, something to look forward to as we go and face the likes of Pitt and Florida in the coming weeks. Um, all right, Jake, so that kind of recaps the game. I mean, is there anything else you wanted to note? Um, the special teams, there wasn't really much to write home, write home about. I mean, uh, Velas Jones let a couple of punts just drop, you know, the, just run-of-the-mill stuff here. Not a lot of splashes on special teams, but – is there anything else that really stood out to you last night? I guess is what I'm trying to ask you. Um, I guess the, the other thing as far as special teams would be that uh, Chase McGrath had a nice night. He had a 43-yard field goal and had a nice debut um, as Tennessee's kicker and obviously has kind of taken the reins there. But um, other than that, I think it was just, you know, great to be back in Neyland Stadium. Great to have a not a full crowd, but um, a pretty good-sized one that was loud. And obviously the, the fireworks were a big success and, and Tennessee really didn't produce as many fireworks as we thought that, but you know, a win is a win is a win. And so, <laughs> right. you know, now just moving on to a, a really tough test against Pittsburgh, but like we said before, just, just a lot of adjustments that need to be made before next week. And I think that anyone who saw that game last night would say the same thing. Yeah, for sure. Uh, you know, we talk about Josh Heupel's fast tempo offense. I just want to note something real quick before we get off here. Uh, Bowling Green um, had 33, uh, almost 34 minutes of total possession compared to Tennessee's 26. But Tennessee ran 27 more offensive plays than them. So just a lot of fast plays. It lived up to the hype, if you will, of Josh Heupel's offense. Um, we hope to see. I thought it was going to be a, t- a total blowout after the first two drives. I'm like, this could get ugly fast. All my live Facebook updates almost said it. I'm glad I didn't. But, you know, it, it it had the looks of a total blowout, and it still was a blowout. But, you know, Tennessee has stuff to work on next week for sure. Yeah, and, you know, I think that's the, the biggest struggle is making sure that, that that early fast offense, that you don't parlay that into too many fast three and outs too because we saw, you know, yeah. just as quickly as Tennessee moved down the field that – uh, with the way that this team gets set, that they can also go three and out in the same or less of an amount of time. And so I think that that's something to kind of take note of that, you know, whenever you are 
struggling to get first downs and struggling to move the ball, maybe you do want to slow it down a little bit and at least try to uh, maintain some control rather than just fizzling out in less than a minute and punting back to the other team. Yeah, like those fast three and outs get the defense out there a lot more, you know, and get them tired because Bowling Green was kind of having slow, methodical, unsuccessful drives, it seemed. Um, And our our depth on defense is probably our biggest Achilles heel, I would, would, you know, suppose, especially on the line. So, you know, we got to try to keep those guys fresh, keep our studs out there. So maybe there's something to be said about this fast tempo offense having a downside, like you said. Um, Right. But yeah, all right. Um, Jake, what's your favorite fruit, man? What? Um, grapes? Grapes, really? No way. Okay. Yeah. The reason I was asking this is because I've always thought like banana or cantaloupe was my favorite fruit, you know? But I had some grapes this morning for breakfast and I'm like, they're just steady Eddie, you know? Grapes are never bad. Like, they, they got to be my favorite fruit. Like banana can get bad. Cantaloupe can be bad, but even if a grape is like, you know, mushy or whatever, it's still great. So I was like, I just want, I just want to know what your favorite fruit is, you know? This is okay. This is a really weird connection. Uh, So last night, Tony Vitello was at the game and, you know, obviously there's pictures all over of him making a TV appearance and um, all the, the, the jokes that come with that. But, um, Vitello last year, you know, at, after one of Tennessee's baseball games that I covered, he referred to Jake Rucker as Steady Eddie. And so for some reason that came to mind whenever you referred to grapes as the same thing. So I'm glad to know that, that you think the same of a fruit as Tony Vitello does of one of Tennessee's best players from last year. So you're telling me that when you cover the baseball beat next season that uh, you're going to refer to Jake Rucker as a grape, right? Oh, well, he's not on the balls anymore. Oh, man. Missed I was going to say, now, now you've got to pick somebody else to, to be <laughs> great for next season. But yeah. Um, but anyway, I think we're going a, a little too far down the rabbit hole, Jack. We better wrap it up. <laughs> I just wanted to be light to end it out here. Um, but all right, everybody, that'll do it for this episode of the BR2 on SI Podcast. Be sure to follow Jake at Nichols underscore 2121, as well as BR2 on SI at BR2 on SI on Facebook and Twitter. We will catch you guys next week with a preview pod for Pittsburgh. Matt and I may have a recruiting pod uh, pretty soon, so be on the lookout for that. But for Jake Nichols, I'm Jack Foster, and we'll see all of you wonderful people next time.